This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Bladed Binge podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I have two exciting updates to share that came after the recording of this episode. First, Bladed Binge now has a fancy pants website. Of course, you can go there on belatedbinge.com. You'll be able to find all of the episodes of the podcast, which also now have video versions on the episode pages of the website as well. These full video versions are also on YouTube now. You can find all the shorter videos that have been posted there. Those are on the website. Links to social media are on the website. Links to support the show on Patreon and Anchor are on the website. But even more exciting than that, you can now engage with the show directly by leaving a voicemail right on the website. Just click the tab on the right-hand side of the page to send a voicemail and have a chance of it being played on the show. Ask me a question, share your opinion, maybe a theory on a recent topic, or just let me know how you're liking the podcast. I want to hear from you. Literally. Second, if you're a Spotify user, you can now watch Belated Binge on Spotify. Yes, watch. This podcast has officially become an eligible video podcast, or vodcast, I think is what the kids are calling it. You'll still have the audio version of the episode as normal, working on some updates for that too, but Spotify users now have a choice to listen or watch each week. This is super new for me, so I may be trying some different things and asking for some opinion and uh, feedback along the way on the video side of things. When you see these as well as the versions on YouTube, you may notice that many of the intros don't have video. Don't panic. Don't adjust your screen settings. Because of the way that I was shooting for YouTube before, I just wasn't turning my camera on for the intros of the podcast. Uh, in most cases, this is only going to last a minute or two, and then the camera is going to come on for the play-by-play segment. Like I said, the audio version will still be there. You may see two versions uploaded in some cases. The videos on YouTube will still be there. This is just another way that Spotify users can engage with the show. And I know some of you may have recently switched to another platform, and that's totally fine. Whenever I hear of opportunities for other platforms to support video, I'll be trying that too. Now, let's get you to the episode that you came here for. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, as we're revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I nearly missed, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through until my mid-20s. That's the belated part, but now we're going to break those books down chapter or two at a time from the lens of a rereader and... That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge, and today we continue that reread of the Harry Potter series with chapters 14 and 15 of The Sorcerer's or Philosopher's Stone, Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback, and The Forbidden Forest. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that we have a special guest. 
But before we introduce her, I have to say the things. This podcast will have spoilers. If you haven't read these by now, you're even later than I was. This podcast could also have some adult language and concepts, particularly as the series progresses. Now, before we dive into our chapter play-by-play, I am extremely excited to introduce our special guest. This is Sarah from First Years. Hi. Hello. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. Tell us all about First Years. Yeah, so First Years is uh, spoiler-free. We are a podcast that um, is spoiler-free, and we do literary analysis and deep dives and symbolism, and it's for all Harry Potter fans, but it's geared toward adults that are reading the series for the first time and want a little bit more of a deeper experience um, than just reading it, because I feel like a lot of adults think that it's a kid's series, like it's a children's book, <laughs> and I fully disagree with that. And I think adults can get a lot out of it still. I would agree, because uh, I could have used you a few years ago when I was 25 and reading these for the first time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although it might have been slightly difficult because in full transparency, I was using the audiobooks. I probably uh... wouldn't be able to do both at the same time. <laughs> Although now I'm imagining... Uh, one headphone with the audiobook and one headphone with your podcast and just getting completely mind clustered the entire time. That's the way to do it. <laughs> Why should any of it make sense? Make it all make no sense. Yes. <laughs> Although let's be fair, these, especially in the early books as, as I'm doing this uh, reread, I'm finding more and more things that don't make sense actually written in the books uh, and we're going to talk about a couple of them today um, yeah. but first I want to keep talking about you a little bit um, so I found first years uh, a few months ago actually and I've heard a ton of the episodes most most of the early ones uh, most of the newer ones dating back through like book four and I'm like piecing some of the things together uh, towards like the end of two and early three like still catching back up a little bit um I was actually listening in preparation for this earlier today to all the way back to your book one when you did chapters 13 through the end of the book. And now I feel Mm -hmm. like I know everything about the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. (laughs) So hopefully you had it all right, uh, because I'm completely leaning on that as fact. (laughs) I hope so. I mean, I always try to like do my best when I like research stuff, but... Um, some things are, some things are hard to find, um, but it's always really fun to sort of dive into the deeper part of the internet and see where I can sort of connect the dots with things. Right. And that's, uh, something that I noticed, uh, particularly today was how you, um, the, the way that certain things are in this series are taken from existing mythologies that are already out there. Uh, mm-hmm. And one question that I thought of to ask you is, do you think that that is genius or borderline plagiarism? You know, that's a hard question to answer because I was just, what was I watching the other day? I had, like just had this conversation with somebody about sort of the overlaps between Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Mm. how like I'm pretty sure J.K. Rowling has 
claimed that she hasn't read the Lord of the Rings. And I don't really know how that's possible given (laughs) how many things overlap. Um, And I think, you know, things from mythology are are pretty much fair game to use Mm -hmm. um, because it is so old and we can sort of make it our own. But I think that there's probably a very fine line between the two, right? And I think, Mm -hmm. especially with mythology, I think there's so much freedom there to sort of make it your own. Like how many retellings have we seen um, of certain stories? And, you know, for example, like um, Hades Town on Broadway right now, which is like the retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice and how many reinterpretations of Shakespeare have we seen? Um, and so I think there's a lot of room in that, but I, you know, it also is, I think there's a fine line there, especially when it's like Lord of the Rings has a giant spider and you have a giant spider, (laughs) you know, like you're kind of like, okay, well, (laughs) all right. I see. I, I get, I definitely get where you're coming from there on the Lord of the Rings piece you know, and any overlap that, because that's kind of, that's almost like the uh, Burger King calling out McDonald's in their ad campaigns type stuff. You know what I mean? Like that sort of relationship competitively. Um, But when you just talk about mythology, like pulling the Sorcerer's Stone and alchemy and, you know, the name Nicholas Flamel and pulling, you know, other things that uh, were clearly uh borrowed or uh expanded upon i think is almost part of the genius of the series because people find familiarity there and it gives more to theorize on and to like dig into that you don't necessarily have to have all come out of your brain which i don't know that the author was quite thinking all of that ahead but it worked out really well in yeah. their favor in that way I mean I really think a lot of the genius of Harry Potter is from how she manages to weave everything together and mm-hmm. how um you know everything sort of comes back into play sort of at the end and like I remember Years ago, I was listening to the audiobook of Half-Blood Prince. I think it was mm-hmm. Half-Blood Prince. And well. there's like a throwaway line when they're in the room of requirement. And it's like, oh, we just, they just walked by um, like a troll statue with a tiara on it. And <laughs> I like stopped dead in my tracks and I was like, they walked by the diadem in this throwaway line in book mm. six for it to like it come was, back and be so important in, in yeah, book seven. It was when he hit his hid the Half-Blood Prince potions book. He used yeah. the tiara, quote unquote, to make the bust of the weird looking warlock statue look more distinguished. Yes, I'm yeah. slightly familiar. That is easily my favorite book in the series. Like, yeah. It's not even remotely close to anything else. Um, So anyways, um, (laughs) that tangent aside, uh, we did actually read a couple of chapters today. Um, But you also, aside from gracing us with your presence over here, you actually let me come on to your show 
recently. And by the time somebody is hearing this, that episode will be out. So yeah, hopefully you still have listeners. And thank you for <laughs> letting me crash your uh, crash your podcast. No, yeah, we had a great discussion over on first years. And so I'm really excited as of the time we're recording this, it's the next episode to go up. Um, so I'm really excited um, to share uh, that episode with everyone because I think we had a really good discussion about I, Order of the Phoenix. I had fun. Yeah. And we we're definitely we were in book five. So what was it like coming back to book one? Since you've spent yeah. so much time going to you had to go in like major rewind mode. Yeah, yeah, I really did. And, you know, it was it was really fun, especially um, sort of looking at how things are set up in book one and how it reflects onto the other books. But also like one of the things there, I think in these chapters, there's like a little throwaway line about Harry learning about Jupiter's moons in astronomy class. And I'm pretty sure in book five, like he has, I'm, I I should have gone back and looked and seen (laughs) if it was actually Jupiter, but I'm pretty sure in book five, he like, part of his homework is like talking about Jupiter's moons again. And I was like, wait, you haven't learned this over the last four years. I'm going to call that a oopsie on the editors, but you know, to be fair, <laughs> it could be. how much does Harry actually retain? Let's I mean, not a, I think, you know what? I think Harry is very much like a practical learner. Like if yeah. he, if the class has to do with like hands-on stuff, I think he definitely like remembers it. Um, but yeah, I don't think he likes like by the book stuff um, since he complains about history of magic all the time. And then well, who like, doesn't, you know, I, you who know, doesn't? I, as someone who like never liked history in high school, I feel like wizarding history would be pretty cool to learn about. Maybe if it was taught by literally anyone else. True, true. I feel like, yeah, like if you're just listening to somebody talk for an hour, that's tough. And I feel like if somebody else was teaching it, it would be a lot more interesting for sure. Yeah, we're led to believe that we're getting the uh, transparent version of the Peanuts teacher. It's a bad impression and a dumb joke. Um... (laughs) So one more question before we get into the chapters. Do you still notice new things when you go back to a reread or is yes. it pretty much old hat by now? No, I think I definitely notice new things um, because I know this is like why it's just like, it's so not just a kid's book because there's so much there. I mean, you know, in my podcast, we're working through Order of the Phoenix right now. And that book was, came out in 2003. And there's so many things that are mentioned in there that we see that still relate to our situation politically today. And, you know, when you go back, there's just so much, so many more things to like, that are reiterated and like you can notice again and you know you're like oh yeah like I didn't realize that oh yeah like that's really cool um and you can just constantly go back to the text and find something new and see something that connects back to like something else obscure in the (laughs) book so I think there's always something more to discover yeah yeah I would I would completely agree and this time I don't I 
I don't expect you to have uh, listened to a bunch of the episodes of this show already. Uh, lie to me um, and pretend that you have. But <laughs> I've said it at nauseum by now um, on this podcast. But I've been super like hyper focused on Dumbledore this time mm-hmm. through and his particularly like the behind the scenes grand plan puppet mastery is it a marionette is that what the thing is called i marionette yeah yeah that's the one that's the one i think a marionette is something completely different that i don't know the definition of um but i just about every single chapter i have found something where it all ties back to that in some way and one of the things that i've been trying to do is really start to see when did dumbledore start putting certain pieces together and certain pieces in play and spoiler we're gonna talk about some of that stuff like yeah I Dumbledore (laughs) is one of those characters that like I know a lot of people like to and don't get me wrong I love analyzing Snape as well but I feel like you know most people think like one of the most complex characters is Snape in the Harry Potter series and I really think Dumbledore is and it's one of those things where like I can't wait on my podcast to tackle Dumbledore and just have a whole episode dedicated to Dumbledore because because I'm spoiler free I can't talk about Mm -hmm. you know everything that he does in the series quite yet but he's one of those people that we we from the get-go we trust right he's like the first person we really meet in like the yeah. first wizard we meet in this world basically and harry trusts him and he's like this figure that we just inherently trust as readers and yet he is someone that is extremely flawed <laughs> and makes a lot of decisions that yes might be for the greater good but like does a lot of damage to harry yeah and you know i think a lot of people forget about that that Dumbledore really isn't perfect and he made some really horrible decisions in Harry's life and you know left Harry with an abusive family for the majority of his life um and so yeah I just think it's so interesting I love talking about Dumbledore I do too and if you're taking uh taking volunteers I'll take a number like the BMV um for guests on that particular episode I'm 100% down this this podcast could go down in absolute flames and misery, and I would still be down to come talk about Dumbledore on your podcast. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so, reminder: uh, if you have questions or uh, can't remember some of the nonsense that I've spewed about Dumbledore in past episodes, uh, you can go back on the app that you're listening to now. Uh, The show is also on YouTube. Uh, We're doing bonus content on Patreon as well. And you can also get early access to all of the episodes ad-free over on Patreon. This is an independent production, and so any support is going to go back into the podcast and to also feeding Producer Jack. Uh, Speaking of Patreon, uh, I uh, mentioned this earlier, but uh, you will be hanging around for a bonus episode today as well so that will uh be out by the time the majority of people are listening to this so if you become a patron you can get more sarah as well so to catch you up from last week we had christmas harry got one step closer to unknowingly becoming the master of death he spent 
hours staring at his family that he'd never seen before because the Dursleys suck uh, and it took a magic mirror for him to do so. It wasn't hanging on a wall and it didn't show him the fairest of all. It just showed him all of his family that he'd missed out on his entire life. We learned who Nicholas Flamel is. Neville was a total badass taking on both of Malfoy's goons at one time. Our red herring plot got pushed forward with Harry spying on Snape and Quirrell having a cryptic chat in the woods for no reason at all. So now we're going to pick back up with our chapters play-by-play. Play-by-play. So chapter 14, the Norwegian Ridgeback. It begins and ends with virtually no real purpose other than to get us to chapter 15. We're going to talk about it, obviously, but let's be honest. The dragon plotline is about as interesting as watching a golf tournament on mute. This is like when a movie gets a random chase or action scene that doesn't actually make any sense or have any bearing on the plot of said movie. You know, like burning down the burrow. Because, you know, action. (laughs) Anyways. The gist of the action of the chapter is that Haggard got drunk at a card game, got swindled for information on Fluffy, which we don't find out until much, much later. He won a dragon egg and is now trying to raise a baby dragon in his wooden hut because who wouldn't? Uh, The trio gets a hold of Ron's brother, Charlie, who organizes a stealth extraction of the baby dragon before it kills Haggard, his dog, and perhaps everyone else that comes anywhere near it, uh, including the students of Hogwarts. Ron gets bitten, which is apparently pretty bad. He's in the hospital wing, and Malfoy founds out what's, finds out what's going on from Ron's book that he took when he conned his way into the sick ward to bully Ron. We'll pretend that decision is Lucius's fault, too. Then Malfoy goes on his plan to rat them out, and Harry and Hermione are successful in getting rid of the stupid dragon, but get caught out of bed because they're 11 and stupid and left the invisibility cloak behind. Now that you know what happened, there's at least a few things that we can dig into with some more attention. And uh, the first one is what happens at the beginning of the chapter. It's when Harry's asking about the protection of the sorcerers or philosopher's stone. And Hagrid comes back with the quick like conclusion that it couldn't hurt to tell him what professors are contributing to its protection. Do you think this is Hagrid just giving them a little too much information Hagrid always gives them a little too much information, and I feel like one of the things that stuck out to me was, you know, Hagrid's justification is like, you know, oh, this person can't be after the stone because they're helping protect the stone when it's like, okay, Quirrell's doing that too, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I Maybe it's Hagrid trying to... you know um like give them like enough information so that they shut up and leave him alone about it but it kind (laughs) of backfires in the space I kind of think that's his thought process that's that's fair uh we're (laughs) gonna pause for a brief 10 second intermission while producer Jack is whining at me incessantly and I need to give him his blanket please hold all (laughs) and we're back And that's staying in the episode, because why not? Uh, So anyways, so I think and have been working under the assumption that this book in its entirety 
is all about Dumbledore figuring out what he's got to work with in Harry. What his instincts are, his natural abilities, as he, you know, because he's beginning this journey to ultimately try to take down Voldemort, who Dumbledore is convinced is still out there and is inevitably going to return. Dumbledore went into it expecting to have the king for his chessboard. What he didn't know is he was getting him, plus a queen in Hermione, who's a total badass, and a knight in Ron. Thoughts? I love that, and I also feel like that gives like almost even a like a crueler, cold-blooded side to Dumbledore, which <laughs> I I which I but I like that interpretation of it. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I I have Order of the Phoenix stuck in my mind because obviously that's where we are on my podcast, and I, mm-hmm. you know when we when we see how like harry's sort of emotional situation in order of the phoenix which like he's not in a good place in that book and yet there's a lot of things that i feel like you know are done because it's for the greater good like harry not being able to put everything in a letter to sirius because things need to be kept secret because if the ministry finds out you know it's all over or McGonagall telling Harry that he needs to keep control of his temper around Umbridge like there's all these like protocols that he has to follow for the greater good but ultimately it's detrimental to him and to his mental health and his well-being in general and I think there is something to be said about you know this whole plan that Dumbledore has for Harry to you know go up against Voldemort And, you know, yes, it's for the greater good of the wizarding world, but like kind of at what cost to Harry, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So because this is the theory that I'm working under, I think that he fully intended for Harry to figure out what was going on in this book. And sometimes he needed a vessel to slip Harry nuggets of information without it being too obvious and too like blatant that this was his plan and that it was intentional insert his protector and his confidant in Hagrid nothing in this book has been on accident from showing Harry the removal of the stone from Gringotts to learning about Fluffy being Hagrid's pet which however the hell that works in his tiny little hut and it never comes up again sure to giving him the invisibility cloak, showing him the mirror of Erised, and how telling him how it works specifically in case he came across it again. To the Nicholas Flamel name drop, now the professors guarding the stone. Hell, even him riding a broom in that first flying lesson is going to come in handy later for the main climax of the book. Why did we never hear of another lesson after Harry got on the Quidditch team? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think flying class is kind of one of those things that I don't know if it's required beyond first year. It kind of seems like an important skill for wizards to have probably for more than just a year. And like maybe people who are on the Quidditch team don't have to take flying lessons. Like maybe that's like credit is already taken care of. Like if you're on a sports team in college, like you don't have to take gym. Like, um, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, 
I, I really like that interpretation of, of sort of Dumbledore's motives in Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Stone, especially because, you know, he gives Harry the invis- invisibility cloak back at the end of these two chapters. Mm-hmm. Sure does. Just mm-hmm. in case. Yeah. Which is, yeah, uh, a whole a whole other thing. Um, so I guess I like because I was wondering as I went through this, did Dumbledore possibly set those up, and then after figuring out that Harry was like a natural on a broom and that he was going to get plenty of practice with the Quidditch team, did Dumbledore really need a whole class of first years just to continue practicing? flying on a broom this is like this is like going to the skating rink and going for skating lessons and there's that one kid that is just like a natural at it so the instructor's teaching them how to skate backwards while every other kid is falling on their ass it's kind of i'm getting that vibe about this whole thing and i do sort of wonder hmm did anybody continue flying lessons after that it's a good question and it also makes me wonder like Dumbledore didn't leave a lot of room for error in his plans like what if (laughs) Harry like sucked at flying or like what if Hagrid oh you can bet that those lessons would have kept going we'd have known (laughs) damn good and well that they were happening like what if Hagrid was like no I'm not telling you anything and then they were just like okay well we don't really have any other information to solve this mystery and then like you know Hermione would have gotten a specific library book for Christmas with a little slanted note um, just in case. Uh, Harry would have just tripped over a broomstick as he stepped out of bed and it was charmed to fly on its own. I don't know. It there yeah. We would have he would have found a way i'm sure but i like the way you're thinking because we have a whole segment that's dedicated to exactly that kind of stuff so we're definitely going to do more of that a little bit later but either way you lean on flying because it's a trivial part of this whole thing and quidditch never actually matters uh just the stuff around quidditch matters before i get canceled on twitter um dumbledore wanted harry to have information throughout this whole thing and i would not be shocked at all if these Hagrid slip-ups and oopses in the iconic you know movie for, I should not have said that I should not have told the, the not an accident I think they were in a lot of cases very deliberate because mm. think about the purpose that the information itself serves Harry now knows specifically this one in this chapter that there's more beyond the trap door if you can get past the three-headed slobber monster, there's multiple lines of protection between that trapdoor and the stone. Now he knows exactly how many lines of protection that there are and who laid those lines of protection in order to get an idea of what they might be. And he's already given him the keys to solving the final one, the mirror, that he made sure that he found and told him how it works this makes me like i mean not for the first time but it's like now i i have even more questions about dumbledore's morality and like (laughs) you know you're sending like an 11 year old down to face these obstacles that are supposed to keep like very powerful wizards 
away. Mm-hmm. And like, I suppose you could argue that Dumbledore knew Quirrell was going to like go down there first and take care of most of the things first. But like, that's like a big risk to take right. on an 11 year old. Yes. And I wish that we could have this discussion, but I have already started to theorize how exactly those obstacles were never intended to be there for Quirrell. They were always intended to be for Harry. That's mm. fair. But then that I feel like that makes it even worse. Cause then it's like Oh right, yeah. Not eleven year old, go down, go down <laughs> and face all of these horrible mm. things, please. Right. But again, if it if it comes back to the way that I've been thinking, it that's what this book is about. It's the testing ground book. How does Harry do in the face of pressure and how does he work through different obstacles first putting all the clues together to get him there and then what does he do when faced with certain things because they all test different parts of your makeup granted he definitely didn't know that he was going to have ron and hermione to like you know uh, be his ringers in some of those obstacles that he would have been totally dead on (laughs) for sure but also, you know, what did he, again, goes back to one of the sentences I said earlier, what does he have to work with in Harry? So if Harry had failed at everything mm-hmm. in this first year at Hogwarts, would Dumbledore have spent year two creating tests for Neville? Mm, I had never thought of that. I doubt it, specifically <laughs> with Neville, only because Voldemort doesn't give a shit about Neville true because part of this so i would theorize that dumbledore yes is raising harry to be his little hero right to ultimately take Voldemort down but he's also preparing him for his best chance at survival in doing so because regardless of whether he starts you know uh training him in this way Voldemort's coming after him either way true so he can either try to stuff him under a Fidelius charm and hide him from Voldemort for the rest of his life and not have the key ingredient to the kill Voldemort stew which is a sentence I never thought I'd say out loud (laughs) or he can basically try to prepare harry one to have skills in order to survive but also to go on offense because let's not pretend that dumbledore doesn't need somebody to go on offense yeah in this scenario because he's and i have to believe that it is that he's putting stock in the prophecy he's putting stock in harry being the one that has to do certain aspects of this because otherwise he could have just done this shit himself and we wouldn't have seven books to read yeah you know yeah so there has to be something there although i'm sure as i continue reading more of these as you can tell i'm doing so fairly critically i will point out where things just don't make any sense um there's actually a segment later for just that uh yes. anyways 
So, you know, continuing down the puppet mastery, of course, the dragon extraction goes off without a hitch. We see Draco, who's again trying to get Harry in trouble because he literally has nothing else that he seems to give a shit about in this book. Yeah, he has literally nothing better to do. The, no, this is all he puts any effort into the entire year. Um, but it backfires. He's the one that gets in trouble with Prof. McGee, but these are kids and they're stupid and they leave the cloak behind on the tower and get caught by Filch and this whole stupid dragon plot reaches its purpose in the story. It gets us to chapter 15, The mm -hmm. Forbidden Forest. And this is the one where shit goes like down, like real shit, not meaningless yes. dragon plot shit. But before we get into that, when I invited you onto this podcast, I asked you what chapter you'd most like to cover from the remaining ones that I had left at that time. You specifically asked for chapter 15. Why? There's so much in chapter 15. I feel like it's a huge turning point in the book. Like it gets us closer to the climax, but it's also, you know, there's there's also just so much there you know like the unicorn thing and the centaur thing and everything that the centaurs say um you know we also get you know the the in the insight that the sorcerer's stone is in hogwarts and who do you think would want it Harry, who do you think's <laughs> actually after it? Hmm. You know, like <laughs> me ponders. Yeah, I it, it's I it's a really important chapter, um, and I think especially when we look at it in regard to the rest of the series, it's so important, and it it's one of those things that totally comes back later, um, multiple times, and I think it also shows how the forbidden forest it's almost is almost like a character in and of itself in this series <laughs> and you know comes back constantly to give us more information and more insight and more like really important moments like this yeah i'd never thought of it as a character but that's 100% accurate it comes up a ton yeah like a ton <laughs> wow yeah huh so shall we dive into getting into it? Let's um, do it. So we start with them getting caught. Apparently Neville has once again tried to be a badass friend and warn them about the Malfoy's plan to try to get him in trouble again because, again, that's all he <laughs> wants to do. It's his main purpose in life. Uh, Prof. It really is. <laughs> it is. It, I don't – I've said this probably a hundred times by now so i'm not going to beat it into the yes i am people blame lucius f and narcissa basically for creating draco and use that as such a crutch to give him an excuse for like all of his behavior throughout these books up th through the whole series to like book six and honestly we'll probably talk more about draco and patreon because i'm very curious to your thoughts on him but some of this stuff it's not like lucius said hey do everything that you possibly can to try to get harry thrown out of school in your first year 
You could guess no. maybe he did, but I don't. I don't think he did because Draco wanted to be friends with Harry from the first moment, and I think Draco's just really bitter about Harry not wanting to be friends with him. Yeah. But also, like, two things. The first is like, yes, like I, I don't think Draco really has a lot of excuses at this point in his life for acting how he does. I think it, later in the books, I think we can have a lot more empathy for him and his situation, and we can talk about that later. Um, Specifically, one book. Yeah, yeah. One book. Um, but also, like, the only thing I'm, like, really thinking of right now is how in book two, when we see them in Borgen and Burks, and Draco's complaining about, mm-hmm. you know, well, you know, Hermione's like, yeah, she has, like, higher grades than me, but it's not my fault. And it's like, okay, well, maybe if you spent less time trying to get Harry in trouble and more time on your classes, maybe you would have beaten Hermione in some of your classes. See, I was thinking of the same chapter, but specifically where Lucius says it would not be great for you to look like you're against Harry. Like you shouldn't be going out of your way to like be anti-Harry. But that's literally all he does. That's yes, (laughs) constantly, forever. This is his whole purpose. Anyways, I I can't just (laughs) keep prof mcgee is pissed (laughs) she hasn't been this mad since the last time she whiffed on the quidditch over under which is totally a (laughs) shout out to binge mode um she takes 50 points from gryffindor for each of them and we're not gonna talk about that here because it's going to come up later because math and asinine stuff while harry is moping around about the points that he lost he stumbles across quirrell apparently whimpering and sobbing not again not again please all right all right and then he goes running out and harry harry's first thought is that snape was somehow threatening him and that he just disappeared somewhere when harry looked in the classroom we obviously know better but what is a student not named harry potter thinking in this particular moment witnessing this weirdness like my professor needs St. Mungo's? What's going yeah, through their minds? Like that or like, ooh, what what weird affair is Coral having with somebody? <laughs> and where are <laughs> they? Are they invisible? <laughs> is he being terrorized by peeves? I, oh, I, I don't know. Maybe I like, that. like that would be the only like reasonable explanation of like, okay, maybe peeves is just like, being a dick you know like i don't know i like that can peeves go like full transparent and then pop back up like i don't know i'm pretty sure he can yeah i'm pretty sure peeves can that's fun to think about yeah so this could not be a vaulty baby parasite on the back of his head that's torturing him mentally it could just be peeves torturing him mentally which yeah i'm not sure which one i like more if i'm honest (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we we know this is Voldemort wanting unicorn blood. Here's my question. Quirrell is tortured here. He's terrified. He's super upset to be doing this. He's doing it because he seems to fear the alternative, the consequences, the punishment for not doing it. What are they? What can parasitic... Voldy baby do to quarrel 
I mean, he's got to be able to do something, right? If like, and I wonder, like, yes, Voldemort's like surviving on the back of his head, but I feel like Voldemort has to have some sort of access to his like subconscious of some Mm -hmm. kind. He must still be able to like do some sort of magic. Yeah. Internally. I don't know. Um, And maybe, maybe it's one of those things where it can Quirrell survive if Voldemort then leaves. Is Voldemort just going to be like, well, I'll just leave the body and like find someone else who will do my bidding for me. And like, you'll lose everything or I'll send somebody else to kill you or you'll just die because maybe like, yes, it's a parasitic relationship, but maybe there's something about it. That's like slightly symbiotic where he like kind of needs him as well. Um, That's really the only thing I could possibly think of. That's that's really interesting. Could do. Because didn't he say later that like the animals that he possessed in the forest of Albania or whatever always had a shorter lifespan and he had to jump from host to host or whatever? That's that's interesting. Um, And the other thing that came to my mind is and maybe this is a little bit of a movieism because I swear I can just hear Rickman's voice saying it. But didn't he say at some point that Voldemort liked to penetrate the mind of his victims and like torture them to the point yes. where they were like begging for death before he actually killed them yes that yeah i'm pretty sure Snape says that when he starts harry's occlumency lessons in book five and yeah. like so how, i have to yeah he could use those memories against people right and so i have to wonder being this close to Quirrell's brain, how hard would it, like, maybe that's the, maybe that's the yeah. punishment. I don't know. I I think you're right. I think, yeah, I, I think legitimacy is probably something that you probably don't necessarily need a wand for, mm-hmm. especially if you're really talented, like we know Voldemort is. And yeah, I think it would not be that hard for him to just access that part of Quirrell. Yeah. Interesting. So So now it's detention time, which of course takes place at 11 o'clock at night, and they're headed to the forest with Hagrid because this is the most logical way to spend detention, right? Yeah. It's almost as if there's a specific reason for it. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Tell me where this lands in your headcanon. Prof McGee would have just had them doing lines or scrubbing the castle with Filch, but Dumbledore had other ideas. He needs Harry to figure out all the clues, and we're running out of chapters. He knows Quirrell has been the one killing the unicorns. He's deduced. Why? To keep his Voldy baby alive. But because apparently, you know, being a parasite of a human host isn't enough, and Quirrell can't just slide back a piece of pizza to the back of his head, I, I guess. But this is what Voldemort needs to be sustained or maybe what Quirrell needs to be sustained. So he doesn't die as the host who knows, but Dumbledore has probably figured it out more than we have at this point of the story. And he needs Harry to know that Voldemort is the reason that the stone is in jeopardy and why it's being protected here at Hogwarts. And this is why he has Hagrid take them out to the forest because Harry needs all of these pieces. He doesn't have the Voldemort piece yet. The more I hear about this theory of yours, the more I 
feel like I'm accepting it into my <laughs> head canon. Um, because yeah, and I one feel convert. Like... <laughs> because I mean, yeah, like I feel like sure if McGonagall was like, okay, we'll just do lines or whatever. But I think if Dumbledore caught her at the right moment, if she was still like super pissed off about it she'd be like yeah throw them into the forest i don't care i i don't just whatever like because she is that angry um i wouldn't put her past her to be to like be like oh yeah tension the forest yeah take that kids like yeah just just has to do it after she's lost a bit on quidditch (laughs) anyways dumbledore has haggard leading them into the forest so he assumes that they're going to be safe but I'd also bet he mentioned it to Frenzy as well as an extra precaution, but we haven't gotten to him yet. First, we have to meet the other centaurs, which happens with Ronan, and we get all this Mars is bright tonight exchange. Now, you probably know this because on your podcast, you do research, but over here, we're just winging it. But this whole, like, this Mars is bright tonight thing, this is supposed to signify ah, incoming war right or something along those lines um that's a good question and i don't know it off the top of my head but mars i'm pretty sure technically was the roman god of war so that would totally make sense um and i think there's a lot of foreshadow in everything the centaurs say um especially Mm. when you look at it from a perspective of the entire series um so i would totally buy that that mars's birth tonight would would be um a significance of war is coming um especially since what we know about how the centaurs sort of fortune tell is that they their sort of method is more slow moving Mm -hmm. you know while like what we end up seeing in divination class is more like immediate like you're interpreting dreams you're reading tea leaves it's it, things are like those events sort of happen closer together um while the centaurs can see things years into the future mm-hmm. and you know we don't yes Voldemort comes back in book four but the actual war that we have isn't until the last book so it's sort of like a long-term yeah. foresight that they have and we don't know when we when they saw it um, so I said right. on this podcast before that the centaurs have prophesied that Harry is going to be killed in the forest by Voldemort. Yep. And I've heard others in the fandom, I want to say muggle cast, but I'm not 100% certain on that. But some have theorized that they were able to see in the planets that that was the ultimate outcome that was coming for Harry and Voldemort in the forest, but they couldn't quite pinpoint when specifically just a general window of time perhaps a decade or a you know a you know, short like a kind of a vast period of time but in the span of you know the universe kind of like get it narrowing it down but didn't know the exact moment and they might have actually believed that that's what's happening right now yes Um, Yeah, I totally buy that. And that's one of the things that one of the foreshadowy things I wrote down about these chapters is like, um, you know, because it's not, you know, prophesizing and seeing the future isn't an exact science, right? So um, 
you know, they might think this is happening, like this moment is happening now when really it should like happen in the future. And it does. And sort of um, at the end of the chapter, when Harry says, oh, Bane thinks friends should have let Voldemort kill me. I suppose that's written in the stars as well totally is like <laughs> harry has that moment <laughs> um yes you know yep. it, it it absolutely is and not just like with what they see but with the prophecy that we learned about later that trelawney made that you know neither can live while the other survives and we actually have like that moment in book seven of you know harry's sort of accepting his own death knowing that you know this is the moment um and him dying temporarily before he's able to come back um, yeah. and sort of finish the mission. Yeah. But that's why they're so like mad right now when Frenzy saves Harry from Coraldemort, which of course we should talk about. Um, do you have anything to say about the shenanigans that Draco pulls that ends up with him and Harry being paired up? for some reason, separated from Hagrid? Draco has the audacity to, like, be terrified to go into the forest. And then once he's in the forest to, like, scare Neville, like, bro, there are so many things in this forest that could kill you. And I feel like being an asshole and, like, you know, causing shenanigans in the forest, like, really isn't a really super safe way to, like, be in the forest, first of all. It's like, well, like, that's just a dick move. Like, come on. Yeah, but it so it gets Harry and Malfoy paired up. Yes. And they come right in at dinner time for Coral de Mart, which, sure. But wasn't it hours ago that Coral ran off sobbing from the classroom to go do this? Is Yes. Is this how long it takes to hunt down a unicorn? Is... I would assume so. If they're that hard to catch, I feel like it must take a while to A, locate one, and then B, be fast enough to kill it. That's fair. And it's and it's better than what I was thinking. See, I was thinking maybe he just had to go like change into his um, complete opposite special occasion hunting cloak. You know, the opposite <laughs> of an orange hat and orange vest. He's like full camo cloak real trees not a sponsor of this podcast so malfoy and fang are just they're toast they bolt they're gone harry's paralyzed by fear and scar pain and in comes dumbledore's backup plan forensic to save the day or night because apparently punishment for being out of bed at midnight because of hagrid is to be out of bed at midnight with hagrid after saving Harry surprisingly quickly, we find out that Frenzy knows some shit. After this, like, shouting match, and even mixed in with it a little bit with Bane, he tells Harry about Voldemort and the Sorcerer's Stone in the castle, and he lays out the clues on a silver liquid unicorn blood platter, which sounded better when I wrote it down than when I actually said it out loud. That's gross um but i want to i, I want to talk more about the frenzy stuff but not just yet 
They get back to Hagrid, detention ends, and Harry finds a gift in his bed, as you mentioned, the invisibility cloak, with a note from Justin Case from State Farm. No, it I, it's Dumbledore. Um, but that's our chapters. Did I miss anything that you wanted to hit on before we move into the rest of the fun we have planned for? No, I think, yeah, I think you covered everything. Cool. So that gets us into our scouting report. Scouting report. Okay, so each week on the Belated Binge Podcast, we pick one character to dive deeper into based on their actions in the chapters that we read. For YouTube viewers, we're in chapters 14 and 15 of Sorcerer's Stone this week, and we are talking about Forenzi. So Forenzi, and I'm... I'm saying Forenzi because I've heard more people say Forenzi. Do you pronounce this another way? Like, how do you actually say this name? I think I, I said it like it. three different times in the last time <laughs> I talked about him on this podcast. I I say friends because that's what they say in the film, but I know the audiobook says Frenzy. So I think there's a divide. I think it's kind of like a, like, do you say nut or canut when talking about wizard money? I don't. They're all just coins. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because <laughs> I know there's like a divide with like people that like say cannot versus not or like Lucius versus Lucius and like frenzy versus friends. I don't know. I think <laughs> it all depends on like what medium you listened or read first. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm an audio. Well, that's kind of a lot as a kid i did read a couple of the books but i didn't stick through the series and i remembered next to nothing um but going all the way through it was audiobooks and i was a grown-ass man but forenzi is a centaur he's half human half horse and according to the girls in book five which you're reading on your podcast he is apparently super hot i guess (laughs) (laughs) i don't know apparently i guess um if you (laughs) Would you call that accurate based on the depiction in book, the first movie where we get a glimpse of him? Because I think um, he looks like a creepy gargoyle thing with horse legs. I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's a hard, like, he's like, I don't know if I would describe like movie frenzy as like super hot. Like, I, I like I would, I would expect like my expectation of like a super hot centaur would be like, henry cavill centaur like yeah he's got abs and hooves but like yeah so he's like i I don't know i like i dare (laughs) i even be like oh he's like handsome ish but like i for cgi find him attractive (laughs) yeah like fair enough i don't know i put you on the spot it's fine i didn't even have that in my notes (laughs) there's no right answer to that question i feel like (laughs) no because I see I think they could have all right so I'm um like I'm a fan of Sons of Anarchy and yes by following anything Sons of Anarchy related on uh particularly Instagram what you get is thousands of photos daily of Charlie Hunnam aka Jax Teller shirtless Put him on a horse body and I get where you're coming from for forensi whatever th- they put together in the first movie that just looks weird (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyways, we learned in this yeah. chapter that he's not as keen as his fellow centaurs to just sit back and watch the inevitable unfold while the rest of the herd or pack or I don't know what the proper term is for that. They've chosen to just stay out of the impending wizard war. He has chosen a side. We see it here and in book five when he becomes a professor at Hogwarts. But whose side? Is he anti-Baltimore or pro-Dumbledore? Uh, I don't know. I want to say both. I mean, I feel like, but he's probably, he's probably more pro-Dumbledore. And I, I say this because from what we see of the Wizarding World, like, they're super anti anyone who isn't a wizard right like they mm. hate werewolves and centaurs and we see that and yeah. i think things would only ever get worse you know under voldemort's rule but it's even if he was just like anti voldemort like things wouldn't necessarily change for them in the wizarding world while like being pro dumbledore like dumbledore definitely like is someone who's like pro centaur and pro werewolf An and pro whoever mm -hmm. you are as long as you know you're a good person and like can teach yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so everyone who's read the books have has figured out that dumbledore is a puppet master maybe they're not going full tinfoil hat as i have into this but he's behind the scenes just putting puzzle pieces together and putting his chess pieces in place and three analogies just all mushed together Together, right there. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, what isn't explicitly written is exactly when he starts putting certain pieces of the story together. On the page, he just kind of knows stuff. And the how and when is murky at best. If I would have known how I would be seeing the story for this particular reread when I started, I probably would have named this podcast something different, like dumbledore and his puppet mastery dumbledore and the real story dumbledore and the pig for slaughter or so i don't know that's trademarked don't get any ideas the one thing that i found fascinating is trying to piece together some of those details and i believe that at this point in the story he already knows harry is gonna die in order to defeat voldemort what does that have to do with forensi He's the one who told Dumbledore. Oh. What do you think? I like that. So do you think... I think that in order for Forenzi to have become a teacher in book right. five, literally getting himself pushed out of his herd pack, whatever they call it, literally almost kicked to death. They wanted to murder him for doing this he didn't just do that because he's picking a side in the wizarding war he had to have done that for some sort of personal reason to think that that was worth it to go help dumbledore in this way in the moment where just dumbledore needed a teacher right. and he was willing to help dumbledore needing a teacher so that I, you know the ministry didn't put one in place he was willing to go through all of that for dumbledore they had to have some sort of personal relationship 
Yeah, I mean, I think they definitely like probably because like Hagrid's on good terms with the centaurs, and I feel like you know, like yes, they show up to have like a conversation with Hagrid like every once in a while. Um, but yeah, for Dumbledore to like have a conversation and to feel comfortable enough to be like, hey, I need you to come teach for me. Um, they would have to be closer. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think friends told Dumbledore about Harry needing to die. Is that right? I think that Forenzi informed Dumbledore about what the planets predicted about Harry dying at Voldemort's hand in the forest. And I okay. think that in that relationship, Dumbledore is the one who gave Forenzi the information about the Sorcerer's Stone being in the castle. Because what other reason would Forenzi have to know that that was there? Yeah, so Trelawney gives, like, the more general prediction. And then, like, so Dumbledore already knows, like, someone's going to have to die. But Friends confirms that it's going to have to be Harry, or it is Harry. Yeah. I like that. I could buy that because, yeah, you're right. Like, why would friends know about the Sorcerer's Stone? Unless they saw that in the stars, too, I guess. But, Which... like, Hagrid doesn't even want to tell, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione about it. So, like, why would he tell a random centaur? Yeah, it's it's possible that they could have foreseen. But that seems, honestly, that seems like a small thing. Too small for planetary prophesization. Yeah. In my in my personal headcanon, I think Harry being killed by Voldemort as the two like spearheads of a wizard war is a big enough deal that it would have been seen in the planets by centaurs and they would recognize yeah. those things. Dumbledore grabbing the stone from Gringotts, which don't even get me started on why it was in Gringotts and not in freaking Paris. That's a whole other episode that already happened. Uh, but bringing it to the school, that is, I feel like a minor detail along the way that the centaurs wouldn't have gotten or for see, like wouldn't have been part of it. Yeah. I think I, I would agree that it, it's a little too specific because I feel like when we look at planetary movements, it's a lot more general, general. of yeah. like big information deals. that you get. Yeah, catastrophic yeah. things. Yes. Not you know, somebody moving a rock. <laughs> and also, centaurs don't exactly share what they see with any humans. Frenzy sharing it with Dumbledore is a one-on-one. And then sharing this information that he was passed from Dumbledore to Harry, that's that can't be like Frenzy going rogue. It's way too yeah. plot convenient, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even, like, I mean, Frenzy kind of, like, goes rogue slightly in this chapter anyway, just by, like, yeah. giving Harry a ride. That's fair. Um, And I think, you know, like, it's not, yeah, like, I think it probably is purposeful. And I think the reason behind him going along with that is because he does have, you know, different morals yeah. than the rest of his yeah. 
brethren, really. He's like, well, I'm not going to stand aside. Like, I'm going to do my part to, like, help because maybe he does know what's at stake if they lose. Yeah. Yeah. Very possible. And fun. This is the kind of stuff that I like to nerd out about, and that keeps me up at night. Uh, With that, let's get into our foreshadow segment. Foreshadow. So this is the part of the show where we pick our four favorite things from the chapters that foreshadow something to come later in the book or the series. A reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, we're talking about chapters 14 and 15 from the Sorcerer's Stone. My first thing, we just talked about it. Mars is bright tonight, and Harry nearly meeting Voldemort in the forest, straight up foreshadowing the final book in the Battle of Hogwarts, where he faces Voldemort in the forest and ultimately sacrifice himself what was your first foreshadow my first one was them losing points and the entire school hating them um because (laughs) i thought it kind of prepares harry for all of the backlash that he gets originally i was thinking all of the backlash that he gets in book four where Mm. everyone hates him when he his name comes out of the goblet of fire But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, I mean, in book two, when everyone turns against him as well, like it kind of foreshadows like all of the houses turning against Harry multiple times while he's at school. Pretty much every book. Let's be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like the only thing that he can count on is at some point in time, Draco's going to be a dick on the train and the entire school is going to turn against you. Yeah. Oh, and Voldemort's trying to kill you. Yeah. By the way. Uh, second thing that uh, I wanted to pull out of these chapters to foreshadow is, again, we kind of just talked about it, Frenzy choosing a side, helping the humans, even letting Harry ride on his back against the wishes of the other centaurs, foreshadowing him later, sacrificing his home, nearly his life, in order to come teach at Hogwarts, and ultimately pretty much sacrificing his his sense of being or his like his standing in everything that he's had up to that point in his life for the greater good yeah so my second one was the line the forest hides many secrets Mm. because it does oh it does um it hides Voldemort in these chapters it hides Aragog in the second one and also the information that Hagrid is actually innocent um and in book five, the the forest hides Grop as well, which is a huge secret that Hagrid is keeping. Um, there's a lot of secrets that are hidden in the forest, I think. That's true. Um, I'm also thinking of one from book four. It hides Barty Crouch Sr.'s body as a bone, yep. which is creepy if I think about it now. Um, <laughs> what else hides in the forest? It hides whatever the hell happened to Professor Umbridge when yes. she got carried away. And I don't know. Yes. I'm not looking forward to when I have to theorize about whatever went down there. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to the next <laughs> foreshadow on the list. Uh, I had Harry and Hermione going on this dragon adventure together as a duo without Ron. Foreshadowing book seven when they'll be without him again for you know a little while a spell if you will haha after he abandons them while they're camping ironically they get caught here too and end up nearly face to face with Voldemort as a result 
liking Godric's Hollow. Maybe they do really actually need Ron. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's a pretty essential part of, you know, like I feel like, especially in the movies, it's easy to forget like how important <laughs> Ron actually is. I was is. literally going to say he's super important despite how hard <laughs> the movies try to make that not so. Yeah, like he he really has a, like an actual role in the trio <laughs> in <Yeah>. the books. <laughs> he does. He does. What was your third one? Um, it was always the innocent are killed first. Um, definitely like talking about the unicorn, but also foreshadows the entire rest of the series where innocent yeah. people are killed before the guilty ones are taken down. Um, like everybody yeah. lost in the Order of the Phoenix during the first war and everyone yeah. that we then proceed to lose um, throughout the series going forward before we finally defeat Voldemort. Can I tell you the name that popped into my head as soon as you said what you said? What? Colin Creevy. <laughs> I know. The last one I had is actually a quote similar to what you've been doing. We probably should have shared notes. Um, but when they're, the trio are talking about Coral sobbing and Harry thinks it's because Snape now knows how to get past Coral's protection of the stone, Hermione says they should... Go to Dumbledore. <laughs> and this is a foreshadow to the thousand times in the upcoming books when this is going to be said or should have been said. And they almost never actually do it. No, um, I, literally never. <laughs> literally I, never. Yeah, I say almost because eventually in this book they try and he's supposedly gone. Now, I don't Maybe. buy for a second that he <laughs> ever actually left, but I think we're probably going to talk about that next week and i'm foreseeing in the planets a uh you know bonus foreshadow in there what did you have for your last one my last one we already talked about um it's the line bane thinks friends should have let voldemort kill me i suppose that's written in the stars as well sure is definitely is <laughs> um totally is sure is it's what is it? orion's belt Big Dipper, Milky Way, Voldemort is going to kill Harry in the forest. That's yes. literally in every astrology um, yeah. book that's ever been printed. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, with that, let's jump into our Game of Inches segment. A Game of Inches. So this is where we do some theorizing about what would happen if something in the chapters that we just read went slightly differently. For this one, we're going back to chapter 14 of Sorcerer's Stone. What if Harry and Hermione don't forget the invisibility cloak on the lightning struck or the astronomy or does it have a name? It, the tallest tower. The tower, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the tower. The I think it was called tallest in, in, um, in Charlie's note. Anyways, presumably they don't get caught. They don't get detention. Malfoy and Neville do which is only like 50% cool to think about. Uh, <laughs> side note, would those two have had to go into the forest with Hagrid or would they have gotten lines or gotten to scrub the floors of the Great Hall? It depends on what Dumbledore's motivations are, right? Like if Dumbledore is really trying to like feed as much information to Harry as possible, then no, they'd probably just yeah. do lines for a few mm -hmm. hours. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, if that was going to be the detention either way, 
Dumbledore would have had to figure out another way to get Harry into the into the forest. I think regardless of like what Dumbledore is planning, like Harry would have had to find a J.K. Rowling would have had to put Harry in the forest somehow, you know. Um, so I think he would have found himself there anyway. How is a really good question. And that is the exact rabbit hole that I intended for us to go down. Because without that detention, how does Harry learn about the unicorns, their blood, and ultimately yeah. Voldemort? What is the other way that it happens? Does Dumbledore find a way to get him into the woods using Hagrid? Probably. Does, yeah, like, I don't know what that reason would be. Um, maybe, maybe they go to visit Hagrid. Hagrid's like, oh, I'm on my way out. Like, here, like, come along. Give like, me a hand. I'll show you some of the forest things. Mm -hmm. And then they just happen to come across some unicorn blood. Mm. See, I was wondering if it's not almost just another info dump where Hagrid tells them about the unicorns that are being hurt or killed in the forest in passing. Again, you know, with tea and raw cake and boulders that he tries to get children to eat. Um, does that maybe perhaps like lead Hermione to the library? to find out about the life-sustaining cursed existence from from the drinking yeah. of the blood? Or maybe like the part of Harry that needs to be involved in everything, he goes into the forest himself to try to figure it out. Mm, like Vigilante. Maybe. Possibly, yeah. Because even if they're able to get the unicorn blood piece, it's still a stretch getting to Voldemort. Particularly for yeah. an 11-year-old, even if these 11-year-olds were written to have the intelligence and snarky vocabulary of a 36-year-old British author. Anyways, does Dumbledore perhaps arrange for a substitute lesson plan in one of the classes? That was going to be my next thought, was that maybe Dumbledore uses Snape. Mm, and they Snape. talk about the uses of unicorn blood, since they use the tail and the horn in potions wouldn't really be that far off for maybe like him to talk about like oh you know try to make sure blood because x y and z something comes across harry has an idea oh my god i bet that's like something that blah mm. blah blah and then they go investigate that would yeah i think that would work I'm thinking of the potions master where he just starts firing questions at Harry to be a dick. Like maybe he's firing questions about unicorn blood. Do you know what happens if somebody drinks blood from a unicorn? Yeah. You know, something along those lines. I guess it has to be more. About, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't do Rickman. God, nobody can really. It's do a, that's a, those Rickman. are hard shoes to fill. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe Forenzi teaches the substitute class. Maybe he guest teaches. Possibly. Yeah. Either way, there's a lot riding on this detention going down, particularly in the forest in the middle of the night, and a ton of ways that it could also have been avoided. Hagrid doesn't have a secret dragon. Prof. McGee gives him a normal detention. They don't forget the cloak. Malfoy doesn't find out about the dragon. Hagrid takes the dragon to the tower, either with them or instead of them, and handles this himself like a big boy. <laughs> Neville hits Draco in the face with a helmet from a suit of armor before he can rat them out. That's the one I like best. So many ways that this could have been avoided and yeah. no simple way of getting the information to Harry. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't avoided. 
it happened. And now we know with virtual certainty, Voldemort's not dead. He's much closer than anyone could have imagined, except maybe Dumbledore. Right. So that leads us into our meaningless awards segment each week on the belated binge podcast. We give away three meaningless awards based on the events of the chapters that we read for YouTube viewers. Reminder, these are coming from chapters 14 and 15 of Sorcerer's Stone. The first award this week is the game ball. The game ball. So the game ball is the standout character, the winner, the MVP, your shining star for the planetary prophecies for me this is frenzy for saving the chosen one's ass for the info dump about unicorn blood for the hint about the sorcerer's stone in the castle and for dropping the voldemort sized bomb on our story who did you have as your winner from this chapter or the i picked charlie weasley because Ah. it astounds me how ron's like hey Hagrid has an illegal dragon. We need help. And Charlie doesn't ask questions. And nope. he's like, yep, yeah, I'm going to send some friends on Thursday. Just make sure you're there and we're all good. And I'm not going to, it's fine. I Like he really came in clutch when Ron needed him. And like, I think that's really impressive. He did. And this is like, this is one of those primates. I'm thinking back to like, uh, remember in, um, well, in book five, when Percy sends the letter to Ron. I just, just... was writing the episode about oh, that chapter. Yeah. Can I just skip it when we get there? Like, good the lord. Worst. Oh my gosh. The worst. It's the I... worst. I, oh, it makes me cringe. Do you need wine or beer or something? <laughs> like, that is, it's, ugh. But that's, that's one way that an older brother would treat a younger brother in a situation like this. You have mm-hmm. Fred and George who would have just absolutely belittled him in every way of making fun of him for getting himself into this predicament. And probably, let's be honest, being them would have been like, eh, you figured out, little bro. Yeah. We're just going to yeah, sit they back and see They would have sat goes. back, wanted to see how it played out because they would have thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And Charlie is like, yeah, I got yeah. you. Char- yep. Yeah. Charlie's just down. How would Bill handle it? I think I think Bill would handle it very similar to similar to Charlie in that like I don't think he would have left Ron hanging. I think he would have found a solution. However, I think Bill would have been like, why are you involved? Why do you have a dragon? Like we need to have a talk about like yeah. how your first year at Hogwarts is going because this really isn't what you should be involved in, right? <laughs> like yeah. I think Bill would probably give him a little a few like lessons and a few like would ask a few questions um yeah. more so than Charlie did. Yeah, cuz I don't think he's straight up ratting him out to Molly or anything, but we know enough from like the Shell Cottage stuff where he's trying to like interject and give Harry advice about dealing with goblins. We know that Ron went there when he abandoned them camping and he didn't like uh rat him out to the rest of the family, but he wasn't real happy about it. Like he's gonna like be there for mm-hmm. you and have your back, but at the same time he's gonna be like, What are You're you? You're gonna doing? hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's not gonna be silent. Uh anyways, that's that's a good choice. And Char- I'm gonna be honest, Charlie did not even cross my mind in these chapters, and I'm so <laughs> glad that he came to yours. 
Uh, so let's do the red card. Red card. So the red card is the complete opposite of the game ball. This is the character that sucked so much that we wish we could throw them out of the book. I had some troubles <laughs> this week. So I almost went with Draco, but I've been giving him hard enough time. And he's at this point just doing normal Draco things. None in excuse, but not a compelling red card anymore. I don't even want to talk about it. I also almost gave it to Prof. McGee for taking so many points from Gryffindor and giving them the detention that nearly killed the Chosen One. But since I've been theorizing this entire time that she did so, at least the detention part, on Dumbledore's orders, maybe he's possibly the red carpet? No, no. Uh, this week I'm going, and I'm stamping it now, I'm coming to it just... I with all the gusto I can have, it's Hagrid for being an idiot and trying to raise a damn dragon in his tiny wooden house and setting up the worst plot point of the entire book and sending our baby heroes on a mission to save his ass that ultimately gets them caught and Harry nearly killed in the woods in the middle of the night. That's a good one. <sighs> I, I gave feel it better. to Draco because I just like hate that he's trying to catch them out at every single turn and also for scaring Neville in the forest. That, yeah. Like, unnecessary. That one's, yeah, it really is. It really is. But we needed a way to get Harry and Draco together yes. for their little spat. And we needed a way to get Harry away from Hagrid for some ungodly reason which is actually a really good segue into the final meaningless award and that is the fumble award fumble so the fumble award doesn't go necessarily to a character in all cases um the idea behind this is a fumble is when you are running with a ball and you drop it this is where the ball gets dropped for me in the chapters that we read and i have a couple here um, first being the points system at Hogwarts, particularly Prof. McGee, who's the biggest offender, five points for troll fighting, 50 points for breaking curfew. In what world does any of this make any sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> I... <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And especially because like, there's no standard for like how many points get awarded for like certain no. things like no professor McGonagall might give you five points for answering a question correctly and Snape might give you one so like you could you know produce the same amount of effort and mm -hmm. not get the same amount of points which seems like an easy way to just like make it an uneven playing field between all of the houses right like yeah so yeah, yeah. And in that exact scenario, you could have the same professor giving you the same amount of points for answering a question right in class as they do for saving somebody from a giant yes. mountain troll. Right. Yes, but damn it, do not leave your bed at night. Uh, so this not is actually bed. a little Dumbledore theory that I have. Um, big surprise that there's a Dumbledore theory attached to this in some way, but it actually has to do with um, later in uh, the Great Hall for the points that he awards at the last second. I think that it's possible that the amount of points that he gives back is literally just giving back these dragon points 
because not only did he give them the invisibility cloak, but he like needed them to go on that excursion. Um, and then there is 10 extra points to Harry for saving the wizarding world from the impending return of Voldemort and an immortal Voldemort with the Sorcerer's Stone, by the way, and 10 points to Neville for standing up to your friends, basically linking oh, my Harry God. and Neville, the two boys who could have both been prophesized as saviors of the wizarding world from Voldemort, tied together from birth, despite one of them never actually knowing this, and tied together in this book, winning a house cup for Gryffindor, which I know you are still salty about. Yes. Um, that's amazing. I never thought about it that way before, and I absolutely love it. And I think you're totally right that it's just him giving the points back. I love that. Thank you. Let's talk about the other thing that doesn't make any sense. The whole detention is bonkers, but you plot. We yeah. need it. But then Hagrid splitting them up. You are looking for a probably dead unicorn and suspect someone or something very dangerous of killing them. And you're sending 11-year-olds to track it down alone with Courage the Cowardly Dog for protection <laughs> and, like, throw up sparks if you're about to die. It's absolutely batshit crazy whether you're following Dumbledore's orders or not. Like, Hagrid should be glued to these kids. Okay, in Courage the Cowardly Dog's defense, Courage would have had a much... He would have, like, handled the situation much better than Fang did. Like, yes, Courage is, like scared all the time but he always defeats the enemy at the end of the episode <laughs> he he does did you is courage the cowardly okay so i my um i i'm <laughs> my knowledge of the show is minimal at best but am i remembering this correctly courage the cowardly dog there was a theory that the owners the old man and woman in that show were actually dead the whole time. What? Have you ever I didn't heard, hear about like, that? You I should heard that. look that up. I don't remember. Like, we're going in the way back machine. I don't even remember where I heard that. Might be crap, but I swear that was something that I heard. I'll have to look into that because I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I remember very little of that show because the only time I ever got to watch it is if, um, my dad fell asleep on the couch when I was watching TV and didn't come up and tell me to turn the TV off by the time that show came on. <laughs> oh my God. No, I used to watch the show all the time. And like when I found out it was on HBO Max, that's like I binged it like <laughs> immediately. Anyway, it's on HBO Max. Pretty sure. Yeah. I didn't know that it was even yeah. there. I spent like a surprising amount of time on others to like not what i mean i have i have a kid so like i watch a lot of bluey but anyways like i don't use my hbo max a ton the the uh reunion was like the last thing that i saw actually mm -hmm. saw on hbo max and it had been forever since i had watched anything on the I, i'm gonna have to commit myself to more hbo max time yeah it's it's on my bucket list some people want to go skydiving i just want to watch hbo max yeah Anyways, did you have anything from these chapters that you just wanted to say this is bogus 
and yes you can blame the author you can blame the plot you can blame characters this is fair game yeah um well going along with the last one you just said was i had written down that the detention in the forest with extremely dangerous creatures and for the detention to last all night like <laughs> filch is like i'll be back at dawn and it's like okay we're just gonna be out here for six hours and then are they expected to go to class the next day or is this like a friday oh, yeah. night like I, I i don't know this is i don't know words. either it's a death trap it's a security nightmare i don't know yes the other one is the fact that two 11 year olds are able to carry a dragon <laughs> up to the top of hogwarts without being like let alone just like being able to carry a dragon because i'm sure baby dragons are very heavy but also without being caught like i'm assuming there are air holes in whatever box norbert's in fire holes and he and he didn't like let off any flame whatsoever he didn't growl he, he didn't squeal he didn't there's no way these there's two are no barbecue way. chicken they're they're done they're toast they're someone someone somewhere is like like a ghost is coming by and hearing something like there's no way norbert didn't make a sound on their way up up there there's just absolute way yeah somebody was watching a a uh you know dragon show on their expo projecto up on the side of the <laughs> dorm wall yeah that's what it was. it was movie night at hogwarts they have that with popcorn house elves make popcorn yeah i don't i'm sure I don't they know. do I, I can't like i can't defend it i can't it's no, i think i no sort of just i just think that whole plot point is really dumb so I didn't spend a ton of time thinking that hard about it. I'm glad you did. One of us had to do their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> With that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Belated Binge Podcast. Sarah, this, this was fun. This was a blast. Thank you for slumming it over here on my podcast. Uh, you are welcome back anytime. I hope you will. Um, yes, I would love to. It's always a really good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I'm I'm glad somebody thinks so. Please tell my wife. Anyways, <laughs> as always, shout out to producer Jack, who we work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to on right now. Uh, leave us a review if that platform allows. Five stars, please. Uh, I know several do. Apple Podcast does. Spotify does. If you've made a switch from Spotify, Good Pods is really cool. They allow um, ratings on by a per episode basis which is pretty cool um i think pod chaser does and there's there's several others that allow reviewing and it really does help us out especially us uh indie podcasters so uh just even if you don't want to spend a dime on patreon that is still support for us and it is awesome uh speaking of patreon you can become a patron for early access to ad-free episodes of every single show that we release uh and the opportunity for bonus content as well like this week more sarah uh, there's a link in the show notes you can follow us on social media which is belated binge on twitter facebook and instagram i'm even trying to figure out tiktok but like i'm a dinosaur so give me a minute uh we're also recording on video so you can watch this on youtube uh, subscribe like and comment there too please finally you can join the discussion uh leave feedback just say hi by emailing belatedbinge at gmail 
Sarah, where can they find First Years? Uh, you can find First Years pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at First Years Pod. I am on TikTok, but my TikTok is not spoiler free. So if you want <laughs> lots of spoilers there, um, my um, TikTok is Verita Serum. So V R I T A S A R A H M. Um, and I talk about Harry Potter and my cats over there. I, you might be my first follow on TikTok if I can figure <laughs> out how to open the app. Anyways, if you're reading along uh, next week, we're going to do chapter 16 of Sorcerer's or Philosopher's Stone. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast.